Hey everyone, it's David Warrench, and welcome again to the Authentic Dad Podcast. Today I'm joined by Japchi Bass. Japchi is one of the top coaches in Toronto. She is an interdisciplinarian, she's a researcher, and an all-around fascinating person. We have this great wide-ranging conversation about somatics and dancing and integration and even vinyl records and the research on note-taking. So really cool one. Please stick with it. I hope you're staying well and healthy. And thanks for your support. Reach out to me, F-U-R-T-H-U-R.coach, further.coach. Click on the contact page if you want to give me feedback. If you know of someone who wants to be a guest, if you want to be a guest, if you are interested in coaching, of course we do that too. I'd love to hear from you, and we will see you on the other side. Okay, I'm here with Japchiana Bass, not Bass, right? She's a transformational coach who brings a wealth of experience in research evaluation, and social policy analysis to her practice, a recognized reviewer for social indicators research, the world's leading journal on quality of life indicators and measures with a PhD on well-being environments. Japshi was recently recognized as one of the top 20 coaches in Toronto in 2021 by Influence Digest. Congratulations on that. Having been trained as an inter interdisciplinary social scientist and having spent most of her career at the helm of either a small business community project or a university instructor. She offers a multi-dimensional approach to integration. As the founder and principal at Flourish Wellbeing SAS, she helps people weave together the lessons of their recurrent challenges with their values and areas of strength for sustained growth. In her personal life, she is a mom to two school-aged children, a playful yogi, an enthusiastic cook, and a dance floor mama. Love to hear more about that. She truly is the embodiment of the lessons she offers. Thank you very much, Japji, for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So that is a lot to unpack. <laughs> and I guess, well, I want to hear how you became a coach, but let's actually start from the beginning. Like, where were you born? And where'd you go to school? And how did you end up getting this very interesting PhD and then becoming a coach? Cool. Um, so I'm originally from Toronto, where I live now. Yes. Uh, I have spent time living elsewhere, mostly in Halifax on the east coast of Canada, though I've also lived in Havana and Paris and Nice a little bit. Awesome. And uh, I've spent most of my career doing work around food issues, food justice, food security, uh, owning a little vegetarian restaurant in Halifax in my 20s. Mm. And really, really looking at understanding the systems that work together when things work for people. Mm -hmm. And so food has been for most of my career, the lens that I've worked with. And, uh, you know, in my bio, it mentions the interdisciplinary social scientist. Yeah. And basically that's, you know, the idea of looking at a problem and then looking at what are the disciplines that are required to look at addressing it and weaving something together to look at the problem. So rather than breaking everything down into segments, right. we look at the system. Yeah, and I no, mostly did that with food. In the yeah, it makes a lot of sense instead of these very narrow categories of, you know, the biologist or the neuroscientist or the psychologist, I, the real world doesn't really operate that way, does it? Hmm. Yeah, and it's, you know, I mean, there's, we need those people who do the individual thing mm -hmm. 
And there's a lot of places where there's multidisciplinary. So that's like, mm -hmm. you know, having those silos together. And the interdisciplinarian is like the weaver who makes that uh -huh. thing coherent. So you're the weaver. I'm the weaver. Very cool. Mm -hmm. And you, you have a PhD in well-being environments. Just tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. It sounds very interesting. Thank you. Um, so my PhD is in environmental studies. And what I looked at was school leading environments and how effective they are or are not for children because I came in with this focus on food, but I also knew I wanted to shift into something that was a little more fundamental. And so weaving together the, some of the existing theories about well-being from positive psychology, like Ed Diner, mm -hmm. Martin Seligman. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then some of the work from Amartya Sen, who's a Nobel prize winning economist originally from India, his work on human capabilities. I brought these together to make a well-being model to look at in sort of three main domains what well-being looks like and use that to actually talk with three and four-year-olds about how they feel as they transition mm -hmm. from school to daycare throughout the day with a focus on their lunch environment. Mm -hmm. Did you use your own kids as an example uh, for any of this? No, because no, it would not that that would be a conflict of interest. <laughs> no, we're not in a, not in an official way, but were you? Were you kind of. My cohort was halfway between the ages of my two kids, so yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> my kids are four years apart, and my cohort was in the middle. It was very good because I had often watched the same shows in the morning. So when we were having uh -huh. banter, you know, we we had watched the same shows. We were in the same thing. Yeah. Well, and then, so you have this PhD and, and then how did, how did you sort of transition that into coaching? It's, it's quite different. Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of ways that it's different and there's some ways that it's similar. I'm a mm -hmm. qualitative researcher. I do interviews. I talk to people and I also, mm -hmm. in my master's, I had a part-time job working as a counselor with adults with intellectual disabilities and as a residential counselor. So I have a bit of this kind of experience and when I finished my PhD, I was working at another university in Toronto doing a bit of food work. And I managed to get on this really cool project called Soul Expressions, Hip Hop for Trauma Resilience. Uh -huh. And through that, I started looking into the embodiment work and the somatic work and all of these things. So I had these threads coming up in 2019 and the world changed somehow in 2020. Yeah. Yes, it did. <laughs> and because of the work that I'd been doing, people started reaching out to me for support. Mm -hmm. How do I handle lockdown with my kids? What am I supposed to do? Child well-being, well-being environments, resilience, trauma, all of this work that I'd been doing. And I didn't have a way to share that in the individual level. Right. I had given recommendations to policymakers. That's very different. And so I did the power of embodied transformation. I, they gave me a scholarship at Coaches Rising. Then I realized how into it was I, I was and did a massive search and I found ferocious school coach training mm -hmm. world, which landed very well. Turns out our mentor ferocious was actually in the same embodied transformation program I was in. So we had met there. What is that? I don't, I'm not familiar with embodied transformation program. Um, so somatics and embodiment work sort of has a couple different approaches, but essentially mm -hmm. it's, based on the idea that we, the science and the research, that we store 
our memories in our tissues. We experience things through our bodies. Further to that, we have, you know, there's yeah. very legitimate research around, you know, the gut. People talk about the gut brain and the mind and the heart brain. And then there's the mind brain. And so a lot of the work that happens in can be very, very heady focused, you know, mindset, yeah. et cetera. And Absolutely. somatics and embodiment work sort of calls for bringing in the physiological to the work. So, I mean, there's a lot of threads, right? So you have this PhD, then you went and got this, you got a coaching certification, then you got this um, uh, other embodiment um, certification. So you, you're definitely a learner. Um, (laughs) it's, it's it's incredible, right? Um, okay. So, and I mean, cut you off. So you, the pandemic hits and then you get the, you get certified as a coach and people are coming to you and say, Hey, how do I, you know, survive lockdown with my kids and kind of coming at you with, with, with questions and then give, bring me, bring me uh, more. Yeah. So, you know, people had started coming to me and I had taken on the embodied program without necessarily planning to become a coach. And then I became a coach and I had already been doing some consulting and had wanted to do some one-on-one work with that. So, you know, this sort of brought it to full fruition. And at this stage, the majority of my work is in one-to-one coaching and, you know, it's all very well being oriented because I, I do other related work with the not-for-profits too. What, um, and I'm going to put you on the spot, but the term, um, well, let's go with somatics and embodiment. Um, what, how do you see like even that term somatics? How do you see that? What does that mean for what you do? Somatics is a term that's used a lot, um, in the schools that teach this stuff. So, Mm -hmm. um, the big, the big research backgrounds around it are, um, Dr. Bessel van der Kolk, yeah. who wrote The Body Keeps the Score and is, mm-hmm. you know, amongst the people responsible for recognizing the truth of PTSD, um, Peter Levine and Dr. Richard Strozzi. And, you know, the idea of using the word, the soma, is that, you know, in the regular words that we use in the West, we don't really have a word that looks at the mind, body, being, the whole of the being. Mm-hmm. And so Introducing the word soma is about sort of creating a space to check in with the whole entity yeah. and weaving those things together. And do you, another term that in, in sort of the coaching world and is, is probably been, all of these things have been around for a long time, but, but I'm just sort of buzzwords of embodiment. Mm-hmm. And is that is that something you a term you use and, and how would you define that? Yeah, um, embodiment really is about showing up in the soma of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, borrowing the word that we have just been using, because when we embody something, it is something that is present, not just in the abstract, right? So, you know, one of the things that, you know, I, I talk about with folks is, you know, you can tell the difference when somebody walks into a room, if they are, if they are feeling small, if they are feeling defeated Mm -hmm. without, without even seeing their face, without speaking to them, they are embodying that small feeling. Yes. Somebody, 
I, can yeah. I just end it on a high? What, right? Like if there's somebody yeah. who's just had a triumph and they're walking down the street, whether you know them or not, you can see that expression. They are embodying that space. Right. That yeah, I guess you could use it sort of metaphorically, right? Like somebody is embodying the values of this particular organization or, or um, literally to me, embodiment means just being in the body. And when somebody is embodied, meaning in the body, that you just see them, their energy is grounded, is confident, is they're sort of um, in touch with who, who um, their sensations and then sometimes I think you can also use it as as a, as a metaphor. I think the way, I don't want to put words in your mouth, when you coach people, you're actually talking about being in the body itself, right? Yeah. And just to, to clarify, because, you know, we can look to embodiment and, you know, it can be grounded. Mm -hmm. it, it It's not necessarily grounded. No? Well, being, like, we can <laughs> embody, like, Check embodiment is about checking in with the body. Right. And so it is not necessarily, you know, just as, you know, mm -hmm. self-care is not, is not always fun. Right. Embodiment okay. is not always fun. I see what you're saying. Like I'm embodied right now, but my nervous system is on fire maybe, or that I'm yeah. feeling frazzled or stressed and I'm being those sensations. And though I'm not, I'm not grounded at all I'm, I'm extremely anxious but that but but i'm practicing embodiment by checking in with that sensation is that what you mean yeah and so there's like that sense of like even as i heard you say saying that like what i was thinking was like authentic more than grounded right that it's like this is truly mm -hmm. where i am because i can only yep. move forward when i am where i am yeah no that's a really it's a great distinction i, I appreciate that i um these are terms i've always i've talked about this on the podcast where finally not just terms but practices that i've really come to appreciate more and more and more mm -hmm. and when i was in my younger just all in my head and even going to coaches and therapists and they would say you know what where does where do you feel that in your body or do you sense that and i would just kind of blow them off and think i don't know and a i don't know b why is that important why are you asking me that i'm just i'm just telling you what how i think and as I've done further down the path and done this work, it's it's so important um, to to be embodied and not disassociate because that my body is not lying; it's telling the truth. There's no story there. I can just be with this sensation with, and there's nothing. There's no story. There's no interpretation, and um, I can feel whatever's happening without kind of distorting it you know, through, through the filter of, of my thoughts and brains. And that's just become so valuable to me. So I'm, I'm so glad. And I, and it, you tell me more about your coaching practice. It sounds like from, from what I know is that somatics and, and cause you're a dancer too, which I want to hear more yeah. about in a yogi, that this is a really a big part of, of you and what you yeah. teach and who you are. And, and that's why I'm kind of honing in on that. Cause it's, it's so important. For sure. Yeah. And, you know, I think like, I, I loved your discussion about, you know, how you move from being very heady and, you know, yeah. people would check in and ask, you know, where you feel it. And it's like, oh, I'm, yeah, you know, I would kind of make I'm fun of them. It. Be like this. I'd be like, this is for, what a dumb, and, and I feel, oh, I feel horrible if any, any of my <laughs> former therapists, <laughs> I apologize. 
I was like, I don't know, man. So it's interesting because a, f- a friend of mine said this thing, and it was long before <laughs> I got into doing this embodied work. But what she said, you know, she had been in therapy, you know, unpacking her stuff like responsible adult. Yeah. And, you know, she's a fellow PhD candidate at the time. And she's like, you know, if I could think my way out of this box, I would have done it by now. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where the embodiment work comes in. And this ties into my coaching because the people that I work with are like you, like me, they are very heady people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we may think, we may have thought that we could think our way out of every box. Definitely. And then eventually there's a threshold that is as far as, you know, I joke like, so in the prefrontal cortex, you know, like prefrontal cortex is great. Does so much for us. Can't do absolutely everything. So yes, mind no. work. Yes. Thought work. Yes. All of that. And also that threshold very often requires settling into the body and then noticing. So in my coaching, yeah. I bring those together and it's, you know, this is sort of the distinction because like a lot of the somatic people are very, very body focused. And yes. I absolutely am. I, I do the body work. I'm also, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a learner. I, I, I'm a weaver. <laughs> I'm a weaver. I'm a thinker. I'm a systems thinker. I, I'm interested in that. And, you know, they say you coach alternate versions of yourself. Right. Huh. And so the people that I work with are, you know, people who are smart, have done a lot, you know, it's, they've moved forward. And then there comes this place where it's like, well, why is brain not taking me out? Why can't brain, yeah. brain always gets me there. Because yeah, brain usually in this, this world we live in is very, very valuable and gets you where you want to go, except then you kind of rub up against, wait a minute, my solutions aren't working right for this or that thing. And that's when probably people have to potentially see a coach or a therapist or something happens or the crisis or they hit a wall and all the solutions they learned, which is usually I'm, you know, I'm smart. I've got this job. I got this, you know, degree and I figured out a lot of things. Mm-hmm. but eventually we, I think we come up against, well, I haven't figured this thing out and why can't I figure this out? And that is, um, for me, at least I'll just speak for myself. It's, um, whatever issues I've had are not always, I've, it's some, somewhat of a nervous system issue, meaning with, if I'm anxious or, you know, so my brain will, will make a story about that, but, but it's both, as you said, it's the way you think. And, but, but I've come to realize more and more that in, even as a little kid, some of the stuff I had was, was, um, it was really a nervous system issue and embodiment work would have been very helpful, you know, when I was 15 or 12 or 20 or 25. <laughs> well, and one of the things too, that I find is interesting and, you know, it's, it's certainly true of me is, you know, people who, you know, brain is very effective and brain is very effective in our society. So mm-hmm. people who've been very successful sometimes haven't developed the coping skills to figure yeah. out the things that they're not good at because they haven't, you could just sort of navigate around them without addressing them. Yeah, you sort of bypass them. Yeah. yeah, because you can, it's like, oh, I just skipped that grade, right? Like whatever, but you can't skip the self. Mm-hmm. You can't skip the soma. And so finding a way to tune into it without without losing track of, right, I still want to keep 
I want to keep brain. I'm not dropping brain. I'm just integrating. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Because it could could go the other way where the person's like, I don't need the brain. Um, (laughs) I went to this, you know, five rhythms. I think we might've talked about this. I might've even told you this little anecdote. I went to this five rhythms, which is like a, you know, it's like a dance sort of uh, facilitated dance class. And it's, it's really cool. And the teacher for class, the first time I met her, I was talking about it and just had a nice conversation. She said she was um, in therapy for like 10 years. And the thing that helped her most, um, she said it was helpful, but it was it was the, the dance, the embodiment. And I don't know, for some reason, that always stuck with me that uh, movement is, is super therapeutic for people and sometimes even more useful or helpful than, than talk therapy. So yeah. It's my little anecdote. Well, I want to add to that anecdote because I, I am not closeted about, I was a, I'm a ch- survivor of child abuse and mm. through my teens, I got into going out dancing a lot <laughs> and I, I would always go very close to the speakers, like close enough that huh. I could feel the vibration. And, wow. you know, as I'm coming in my adult life now through the work on the hip hop for trauma resilience project, through my own study with my clients, et cetera, I realized like, I was intuitively using something that is now being used as a therapy. I was yeah. settling into the music, connecting to the vibration, like the actual movement of, of the music. You were picking up on this me. years ago, years ago before it was, wow, that's so, so it cool. It was, you know, like, how did I come to this? Well, you know, when I was 15, I was kind of already practicing it. And I knew if I didn't go ideally twice a month, but if I didn't go, like I would start to fall off. I was in the gifted program. I would start not doing as well at school. I, you know, I didn't consider That's it therapy remarkable. at the time. So what were these sort of like dance clubs for teenagers? Was it, what kind of music I went was to it? Raves. It's where you could go because you didn't have to be of age. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these were actual raves. Were you like staying up all night and the whole rave culture thing? I, I, I raved in my teens. That's yeah. cool. No, mm-hmm. I know I've actually never been to a rave, but um, yeah, I'm just picturing you and next to this, just this speaker and the bass and the vibration and the whole thing can be therapeutic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You kind of get it's out of so, your head. It's so neat because in reading Bessel van der Kolk's work, the body mm-hmm. keeps the score and looking at the things that he's worked, looked at in his career, you know, like he's, he's, he's looked at PTSD and he's looked at embodiment and he's, you know, uh. looking at like using things that help open the mind to get past traumas. And I'm like, I just, I'm like the living precursor yeah. to the work that he's doing. <laughs> right. And I, and, you know, you've heard of, it's probably been going on, you know, ecstatic dance and dance rituals for a gajillion years. And all. and you know, I, I'm a huge live music fan and I go to like, you know, the hippie jam band scene and everybody is, doing their thing and uh no it's it's extremely therapeutic and the energy of the other people too not you know just being around music and other people having having a good time and i think i think a whole part of it i mean you could do it in your in your living room which which i'm sure is great in your basement and by yourself and putting on your headphones but i think there's an energy too with like in a, a sort of a, an environment where you feel a sense of belonging to a community can I speak to that in two ways? Yeah, please. Um, Two ways, because, you know, we've been in the pandemic, right? So dancing Mm -hmm. with people has not really been possible. And I for sure have my, my dance floor friends, which I'm, I'm a ambivert or maybe an introvert who likes to dance. 
so, you know, my dance floor people are all very extroverted. They've had a real hard time. I have a balcony overlooking the city and I can see the moon at all times. And I huh. once a week have been dancing on my balcony with the moon. Wow. And that's where I got my company. So you, you're, you're so I'm picturing you're on the balcony, there's a moon and it's overlooking Toronto. Mm-hmm. Headphones or no headphones? I use a little Bluetooth speaker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What kind of music are we, um, electronic dance music or? I'm very, I'm, my music is a bit disparate. Uh, mm-hmm. I like, I like hip hop. Yeah. I do like electronic influence stuff. Uh, I like a lot of kinds of, fusion i grew up listening to a lot of reggae just because my mom was really into it uh-huh. um i'm definitely beat heavy yeah yeah Groove. yeah yeah beat. i've actually got into a little bit of that lately i keep getting really into these certain artists and then i'm like i want i do the vinyl too i'm like i want the vinyl for that mm. and so amazon keeps coming to the door with this <laughs> nice weird... what kind of turntable you got I just have like an Audio Technica turntable, nothing fancy, and like yeah. and some, you know, not super expensive speakers, but they sound really nice. And um, just having, I grew up with CDs and tapes, as I'm sure you did. I, it, vinyl is a little before my time, but having the physical, I think it's very actually it's very therapeutic for me. And for two reasons: number one, having the physical thing, I think, is beautiful to see the artwork, and and of course, it slows you down. You don't skip. I guess you could. You don't really skip songs on records. You know, you have to listen to the whole thing. And it's a way of instead, you know, with streaming music, you just click, 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 skip, skip, skip. And when you have the the actual item, I look at the artwork and I read, you know, about the artist and I, I put it on and it slows you down. Because I know that I'm in, I'm into the, I'm, I'm not skipping any songs. I'm listening to the whole side and flipping it over. And there's just, um, there's something about that. And I think people who are listening or will listen to this, who collect vinyl know exactly what I'm talking about. And there's actually something about going to the record store and flipping through the tactile experience and the sort of the smell of the place and kind of finding something interesting where I don't know if you was a kid when you went to like the music store looking at the CDs or the books or I love that experience. I get lost in there and I really miss that. I miss going to Blockbuster. Yeah. So the, it, there's something very relaxing for me, even to just go to the store and look at the stuff, you know? Well, and you know, I'm here at this, there's so many things that I could pick up on in here <laughs> and I, I feel yeah. so much of it and like the tactile nature and like the yeah. thing about like the record store, as yeah. a place, right? It is. It is this environment of music. Mm-hmm. You are surrounded. Yeah, the people that come in, the energy, yeah. and like the the records more than CDs too, because you can actually like you can yeah. see the grooves. You could touch it, like you can touch the thing that makes the music. Touch the grooves. That's right. And, and it, of course, it sounds to me warmer. And it, 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 yes, it sounds better. Of course, that's like I'm, I'm not an audiophile, but I like the sound better too. But it's yeah. way more than that. I have a friend from, you know, when I lived out East actually, who's, you know, now become a world renowned DJ and, oh, cool. you know, one of the things that's been interesting for him in the pandemic is the way that the DJ community has woven together because, you know, uh, DJs yeah. still collect records, but when you yeah. go do shows, you don't necessarily bring a record crate anymore. You can take your records and digitize them and use it and you use turntables, but it's off of something digital. 
but the uh -huh. DJs and the audiophiles still want the records. So with mm. the pandemic and everyone at home, there's been this like knitting together of that community where people are doing their Twitch streams or whatever, but they get to interact a lot more. There's a lot more like yeah. doing this yeah, record just came in. And, yeah. I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of the streams, what the dance streams, the DJ streams, but you're saying the communities become closer because they're seeing each other more. Yeah. You know, it's like they knew each other, but they have, you know, they have more time to be doing mm -hmm. this because they're not in three different cities around the world, four days a week or whatever. Right. Like, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's, um, it's actually, someone was telling me, was a little, <laughs> we can move on after it's a little <laughs> off topic, but I was talking to a record store owner and he said, records are so popular now that some of these small labels or small companies, they can't, print enough of them and they can't get companies to print them and that when they sell out the you know the pe people that want it they're like look it'll, it'll be back in stock in like six months there there's like a shortage of mm. um producers to to actually make make the records oh, um for, for smaller labels yeah is what he was telling me he said that it, they've just records like 10 years ago that were ten dollars you know have gone up in price like right. crazy because I mean, it's very popular and yeah. I guess I jumped on the bad wagon because it, it's so fun. Well, yeah. and I think there's a thing, you know, like we got so digital, yeah, you know, and like, you know, to sort of tie it back to some of the things like the digital is very abstract. It's very, it's very brain. It's very prefrontal cortex. And then, and then with the pandemic, we've slowed down on it. People are like, I want, I want a thing I can touch. I want the, I want the, the thing. Sound. I like, I still right? like the book so much. I mean, I have all the audio oh. stuff, but I like the book. Mm. I, I retain the information better too. Our our, our listeners can't see this, mm -hmm. but you can. Oh can yeah, yeah, quite a collection. Yeah, I love the books too. <laughs> books, 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 books. I think they yeah. say you retain the information better. And like for example, in school, um, everyone take notes on laptop, not me, pen and paper, and then I would type up the notes, but always the pen and paper notes. And there's a lot of research on that being much better for retention. Really? A bunch of research. Did not know that. I could share some if you'd like. <laughs> um, well, I this I want to like sort of pivot as uh -huh. as far as so we talked about like embodiment and somatics. I want to hear if you have a couple practices that you, you sort of could give people, but I also want to hear about like integration because that's a huge that's a really important topic. To yeah, me I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, I'm a little excited about the note-taking. I'm going to mm -hmm. say one yeah, thing. Yeah, tell about me about it. the note-taking. Go ahead. Do the note-taking. it is embodiment. So here's okay. the thing. The reason that note-taking is better, I'll just explain okay. why. The reason mm -hmm. that note-taking with pen and paper is better is that it requires more involvement, right? So uh -huh. if you are typing, many people can type almost verbatim. So it's, it's like a straw, right? Huh. Whereas note-taking, we're not, nobody... And except for maybe the people who are very good at like shorthand, which nobody does anymore, you can't take mm -hmm. verbatim notes. So you have to choose what to take notes on and synthesize it and then write it with your hand and you see it emerging on the paper as you write it with your hand. So it's engaging many, many different parts of your brain and body huh. in the process. Can I tell you something else that's crazy? Uh-huh. <laughs> when I was in school... And I would take an exam, like a, like let's say a law school exam or something. Mm -hmm. So I would study. But when I would look at the test, I literally had a visual 
of my handwritten notes. I was like, I know, I know what the answer is. And I could see, I could see my notes in pen visually. Not, but I can't do that with um, typed notes. Relatable. Same. And for me, (laughs) I can, any quote that's important in any of my books, I could tell you not, not necessarily even the author, but I could tell you it's on the bottom right hand corner and it's three lines and it's over here. Huh? Cause I can see it. There's something visual about it. Mm -hmm. Visual and spatial, right? Which is why it works on paper and less so on a screen. I always have to have a file for people like for my clients and stuff. I can't do the iPad and the cord. I just can't retain it. I have to have it. So mm-hmm. waste a lot of paper, unfortunately. But, well, I mean, yeah. but also to-do lists, right? I mean, coaches that we, you know, I for sure check in with my clients, but, you know, basically everybody I work with, their to-do list is on paper. Mm-hmm. You might send yourself notes. You might have your Google calendar, right? But you have your to-do list on paper where you can physically check the thing off. There's that satisfied feeling of checking I was a very late Google calendar person. I had the paper calendar until my wife would be like, what about this day for this? And I'm like, I don't know. I have to check my calendar. She's like, well, check it. I was like, I don't have it with me. She's like, what do you mean? <laughs> like, you have to stop doing that. And for she's, and I was like, nope, I like the paper. So she, she, she turned me and it's fine. Like it is better because it's always there. But, but I was a paper calendar guy up until two, three years ago. I have my Google calendar, but I do my day plans on paper. Mm. Mm-hmm. I love it. Paper. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm, thank you. So there's mm-hmm. something to my note taking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Research wise. There's, 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 there's background to it. Yes. So practices. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you know, we talk about this stuff, uh, you know, and I listen to these podcasts, you know, yeah, I'm being embodied in, in somatics and you know, it's good, good to get some, some specifics. Yeah. If you have any. Yeah, no, I do have practices. So, you know, it's interesting because with my clients, I really titrate very individually yeah. around things. So, you know. It, it could be, always... I mean, I do, you know, Donna Eden, you know who Donna Eden is? Mm-hmm. She's like this energy guru. She has this five minute energy exercise on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Highly recommend to anybody just Google Donna Eden on YouTube. And it's this. It is what it is, a five minute, and it works really, really well to just kind of for headaches or energy and just really simple things in the morning. Can't really show you on a podcast, but that's just <laughs> one thing that popped up in my, my head yeah. of like, well, well, that's what I would tell people. Try that. And I know there's like, there's an unlimited amount of things you could do, but mm-hmm. I don't and, know if you have a go-to or something. Well, I have, I have some core things. You know, I, mm-hmm. I always start people with, with breath work which is, Mm -hmm. you know, connected to and not necessarily meditation. And we use um, a practice. I've done a bunch of trainings with the Strozzi Institute. They have a practice they call centering, um, which is sort of, you know, around centering in the body and talking through kind of this idea of four dimensions. You sort of talk through you know, being grounded and rising and boundaried and connected and That's recognizing great. your history and your future. And the thing about it is that it's a practice that is physical that talks through the concepts at the same time. And You're so, weaving again. Mm, exactly. <laughs> Always weaving. No matter where I go, I'm weaving. Yeah. And the thing that's important about it, though, really, is that, like, it's the repetition, Right. 
So when we want to learn something, you know, why, like, why is it a practice? It's a practice because we do it again and again. And so, you know, there's various things around this, but, you know, there's these ideas around like, you know, 300 times to learn something, 3000 times to mastery. Well, if you want 3000 times to mastery and you do three times a day, you're still talking a thousand days. Wow. Yeah. Right. And so learning to center, you learn Mm -hmm. to center by doing it regularly. And then you apply that in situations so that you can act in a place of choice. Yeah, I had a, I had a, I took a yoga class in college, and the, another another anecdote that always stuck with me is he would teach us these poses, and he would say, "Well, the point of all of this is so you can be on the top of a skyscraper in the rush hour in the middle of Manhattan and do this move and just feel totally relaxed." I'm like, "Okay, I get it." You know, he was like, "We basically we want you to be able to integrate this integration, which we'll talk about, into your life." During the most stressful times, not to just do it in the gymnasium on a Tuesday morning when between classes. And I love that. Yeah. And it, it is what all of the practices are about. So breath work is really good because we're, we need breath. Mm-hmm. Breath work is good because you always have it. Always have it. We don't always do it well, right? Well, and here's the thing that's so great about breath work. We're, whether we choose to breathe or not, okay, we could choose to hold our breath, right? But we're right. breathing, whether we're thinking about it or not. Yeah. And then when we're, we can pay attention to it and do it without controlling it and we can control it. So we can engage with it sort of in different levels of cognition, different levels of awareness and different, different levels of physical sensation. You know, there's, there's even the, the holotropic breath work. I don't know if you've, you've heard of this where, where you, you could have psychedelic experiences without taking psychedelics, you know, Stan, Stanislav Grof. I haven't done it, but I it's a very interesting concept all, all through the breath. Yeah. So. And there's so many breath works, right? There's, yeah. there's box breath and all these other ones, right? Yeah. Cool. So you, you, that's sort of part of, um, part yeah. Of, yeah. I mean, when I, I had a coach and we would, we would start with the whole body scan and yeah, it was very helpful. Yeah. We always, we always start with breath work and move into centering and then yeah. there's, hundred different directions it can go. Yeah, because when somebody comes to you or, or even you that that day, that morning, you know, they, they could be have just gotten like something stressful's going on, their mind can be in a million places and mm-hmm. and you don't know like what was going on with them. So it's such an important tool to do. So yeah. so you could get the most out of out of the session. Um, yeah. I try to do that too before for court, so mm. I don't bring my all my all my all my stuff into the because it's not it's about it's about the person I'm trying to help, and I don't really want to. What do you do before court? Bring all my resentments. Well, this morning I did that sort that little energy uh, routine because I was feeling very uh, kind of stressed and narrowly focused, and this kind of makes you feel a more sense of spaciousness. And whenever I have this feeling of stress and narrowness, everyone's like, I need to open this up. Mm-hmm. And these practices, again, hard to show you on a podcast, but people should check them out. Very simple, five minutes and remarkably effective. Um, just kind of moving your energy around, um, relaxing. They're good for headaches. Uh, they're good for um, breath. And um, I guess, I think, some of them are um, 
tapping on points. Some of them feel like they may have emerged from um, Qigong, which is another thing I've found very effective. But um, and maybe it's psychosomatic. I mean, may- maybe it's a placebo. It doesn't matter. I think it works. Maybe what's psychosomatic? You know, maybe you're maybe you're doing something and you're feeling better because you're doing something, and you know maybe there's nothing actually physically happening, but um, or maybe it's some type of placebo. What I'm saying is I don't know how it works or why it works scientifically, or maybe it's not, but it does work. Um, you know, mm-hmm. people do the you know emotional freedom technique with the tapping. Mm-hmm. Have you tra- have you ever done that? I haven't done the emotional freedom technique. So I don't know why it works, but it does. And it might just be because you're, you're focusing your energy on trying to calm yourself or, or, but, but it works. I mean, they claim that there's these acupuncture points that you're tapping on and that that's why they're working. And, and that may be, may be true, but I found it very effective. It looks very strange when you're doing it. <laughs> and it feels like what am I? What am I doing? But it, it, I found it very effective, so I do it. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's it's a safe. lot of research to support yeah. breathwork practices. There's yeah. a lot of research to support consistency in practices, yeah. and you know, it, it, it seems like a safe thing. You know, it's not like I just I'm all for it. For you know, I, if people. I, I traffic in the woo-woo if it's effective and safe and it works, you know? Yeah, well, here's the thing. It's not... The woo-woo and embodied Mm -hmm. stuff are very close together, right? Right, There can be some overlap. There's actually a lot of research for a lot of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. part of the challenge, you know, sort of like, you know, do I have practices? Sure. You know, my my name is Japji. My parents met because they were hippies. Oh, really? I, like... I was literally born into an ashram. You know, oh. I, I, I practiced Kriya in my twenties. I, I became a Reiki master. I have, I've gone through a whole bunch of different oh. types of learnings. And the thing that I find is, you know, there's, there's this idea of like, so what is the breathwork practice you recommend? And it's like, mm-hmm. okay, well, do you have a practice? Is it working for you? What about it isn't working for you? What are you looking to change? Right. Yeah. You know, Let's let's start with where you are instead of saying, oh, you don't, you have nothing. I will give you the, the answer. Well, right. you have some things and some of them are already working and some of them are already not working. And let's use that and then look at the practices and see how we can build something that yeah. un, and then unfold it and unfold it. And yeah, unfold. I guess I was just, I'm sometimes thinking of the person and, and friends of mine who say, hey, maybe uh, you seem very stressed or he's telling me he's very stressed. Mm. Blah, blah, blah start a breathwork practice and look at me. I don't know what the hell that even is. So someone like listening could be yeah. like, okay, I see. That means, you know, a body scan or I, yeah. this so, or this and this. Cause, cause there are people who don't really know, um, haven't tried it. Don't know what it is. Don't know how to start. Don't think it would work kind of thing. Yes. I'm always, I'm That's- always like, I have, I have friends like that. Um, who, who don't shoot me down you know, they say, well, that, that's interesting and that could be very helpful, but they're kind of like, yeah, I don't, I don't know, man. <laughs> so, so to that, I would say, you know, especially being new to it, you know, yeah. Headspace is a good app. I have no affiliation yeah, yeah. with them. The Headspace app is good. I have it. My, we use it for sleep meditation for my kids. 
-hmm. something that will just talk you through centering on your breath and that has different options and gives you a timer. Because the, the important thing really is that slowing down into the breath. Yeah. And that's the first step, you know, before, before another practice, it's noticing, like, do I feel hot or cold? Is my heart right. racing or is it hot in here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, these are, um, these are things, as I was saying, that I really, uh, had to train myself to do. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, um, can we talk a little bit about integration? I know, because um, that's like a really, when I, well, the way I look at it, I mean, I look at it in a, a bunch of different ways, but, it, um, you know, people say work, life balance, I like work, life harmony, you know, mm-hmm. integrating your kids and your family life and your partner and your job together, I think makes more sense. And integrating, you know, these different disciplines and practices. And just, to me, it just means a really full, interesting, I don't know, I don't know how you look at or see it, but it just seems such an important concept, particularly the world is so complicated. And there's so much going on, there's so much information, and how do we integrate, whether it's um, work and life and practice and therapy and coaching and whatever, it's just there's so many moving parts and this seems like such an important skill to learn. Yeah. So I like that you talk about that. Yeah. I mean, and it's, it's tricky and you know, it's sort of always changing. Right. So mm-hmm. I'm pulling back to, you know, my training is as a systems thinker. So, yeah. you know, the idea is that we want to look at the whole. So you, you know, you've mentioned like, let's say like, you know, work, parenting, mm-hmm. use the word life, let's say like self care, you know, like as in like, yeah eating, physical activity and whatnot. These things all have to work together. And the proportion of energy and time they take up is something that we have more or less control of in each case, right? So how do we decide? Great question. How do we decide? (laughs) You know, and, and it's, and there's always things pulling at us. And one of the things that happens when we're not, when we we're not doing breath work, when we're not in tune with ourselves, is that usually whatever has the loudest alarm gets our attention, mm-hmm. right? So that's why people might start turning off the notifications on their phone or, you know, like it's hard to put things out. How do we decide? Well, first we need to be tuned into ourselves and then we need a deciding system. And at the most basic level, a deciding system, I think, you know, the optimal way you want to look at three things, vision, values, and logistics. And most people operate looking at one or two of these three things. Right. Yeah. The logistics are the, that's, you know, now you actually have to do it. So a lot of people just do logistics and, and, and it can feel like that's the only way to do it. Oh, that's interesting. I always thought the logistics was the hardest part. Like someone says, you know, I need to run three times a day because <laughs> I value my health and my energy and then the hard part would be actually putting it on the calendar or doing it. But right. you're saying, you're saying, yeah, okay. That, that's the hard get, part for me, at least. Right. But people kind of get, you know, like they might have ideas, but the vision, that's an incomplete vision. That vision, mm-hmm. I want to run three times a day, but not uh, uh, visioning right. their day with three runs. Mm-hmm. A week. 
three times a week. Sure, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> right. Thank you. <laughs> three times a day. That's a lot. That's um, crazy. <laughs> yeah, actually. <laughs> Even for a runner, I think, right? Yeah. Um, Let's say, well, I think you're nuts. Yeah. Yeah. But if we really are take the space for it, we can find the room for things. But yeah. it, it's not just the logistics, right? Like it might be a values thing. Like maybe it's hard to find the three times because we also are trying to decide, well, am I, you know, am I going to watch Netflix an hour a day with my partner or three days a week? Am I going to go to bed earlier so I can get up and run? Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah. that's a values question. Right. So there's not an automatic answer with these three things. There's a way to kind of recognize, you know, where the priority is falling on a particular issue. And so you have to value your health more than your partner. I think what you're saying. (laughs) That's Well, I mean, your body is the only home you'll never leave. That's right. Oh, there you go. That's what I'm going to tell her. Sorry, my body's the only home. (laughs) Never going to leave. I'm going to bed. I feel like if you were well rested and healthy and energetic, your partner would be happy. Yeah. I don't know her though, so. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. No, I I see what you mean. That the that's very good. So All right. So Okay. And you have to make choices. I mean, you right, you're saying you're making a choice, you know, you go to bed early or watch the Netflix, but there has to be a choice. There's always a choice. Yeah. There's always a choice Real, and it might be, be a small choice, right? Mm-hmm. You know, even when it feels like there's no choice, there's a place of choice and finding that place of choice is where we can organize our life, where we can be the active agent in our life. Yeah. I like that. Um, I kind of took that from Victor Frankl, but yeah. Ah, that's my favorite <laughs> book. Yeah. Is that Mansur? That's like literally my favorite book. Kinda. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I used it in my dissertation too. Credit Victor Frankl. <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, you can find freedom even mm-hmm. in those circumstances. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's one of the few books I've read like over and over and over again. Me too. I don't normally do that. Yeah. Me neither. Um, I find, you know, with logistics, sometimes just putting it in the, in the calendar, just put it in the calendar. It doesn't always work, but it sure, it works better than not doing it. Yeah. See, we often are like, oh, it's going to be really hard, but we're just playing around in some other part, right? So if it's like vision, values, and we're playing around, and then it's like, oh, I can't make it happen. And so we blame it on logistics, mm-hmm. but it's actually, I haven't decided, you know, is my vision of myself running three times a week more important than my vision of myself cuddling with my partner at the end of the day every day? Yeah. And yeah, that's a value a- vision thing. And we say, oh, it's logistics. I can't make it work. We haven't made the decision yet of what you want to do. And so it's not happening. I wonder if sometimes we have so many either competing visions or too many visions, or maybe sometimes I am a restless visionary. Like I'm (laughs) so many things going on. Yeah. Um, But that's, that's a helpful frame. Um, Values, vision and logistics. Is that Viktor Frankl? No, that one isn't. But I want to I want to <laughs> respond to this because you said the thing about the competing visions and the values thing, and I want to bring this back to uh, agendas and paper. Mm, okay. Because we've gotten as a society, I think, very into our Google Calendar, which is 
really meetings. It's not our to-do lists and everything. I mean, maybe we put some of our to, you know, we might put, have to go to the grocery yeah. store. Right. 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 I, but, I don't, I have a, I have like a master list. Yeah. Right. When we actually map it out, what we want to do, and we're checking in with ourselves, we can make it, we can figure that out. Right. Once a week, you know, probably on a Sunday, looking at the next week and mapping mm-hmm. it out once a day, looking at the, the following day, usually the day before and mapping it out. Maybe once and, a month more often looking into the future. And if people are listening and says, wow, that's a lot of work. Da, 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 da. Hire a coach. <laughs> that's. Well, and if you want to accountable life, helps you. You want, like if you want to change, mm-hmm. you have to change. Yeah. And you have someone who can hold you accountable and, mm-hmm. you know, help you navigate all of these things. And that is not all coaches do, but I, I do think it's very helpful because um, just have another person say, Hey, how'd it go with uh, the thing we mapped out? Did you do it? So mm-hmm. I know you have something coming up, so I don't want to take up your time because I know you have to go. Any um, other Final words of wisdom, anything you recommend, books, articles, podcasts, things that we didn't mention that we missed before we close? Well, I, f- I feel like just because I've said it a few times, I'm going to I'm gonna pump again, uh, mm-hmm. the body keeps the score. Um, okay, excellent. And also Your Body is Your Brain by Amanda Blake is another good one okay. around kind of this sort of somatic thing. And um, you can check out my website, Flourish. I was going to say, where, where do we find you? Is the, is yeah. the other thing I was going to say? Yeah. So uh, my website is Flourish Wellbeing SAS, all one word. <laughs> and I do coaching and thought partnership and wellbeing evaluation. Beautiful. And I will yeah. um, we'll put your website in the show notes. And um, that was Awesome. And congratulations on, on being one of the top 20 coaches in Toronto. That's Thank really cool. You. Yeah. It was a that must've been thrilling. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's very yeah, that's exciting. Very, that's very awesome. Yeah. So only the top on the authentic dad podcast, <laughs> the top, um, have a wonderful day and it was a really pleasure. And I love, as we talked about, I love your city and I hope to come <laughs> back soon. It was a wonderful city. Uh, Toronto is so cool. It, it is one of my favorite places. Yeah. Um, I could live there. Not in the winter. You should visit though. (laughs) I'm going to visit again. Yeah. We, we really, really loved it. Yeah. So, so cool. It's a very fun city. Let me know when you do all. Oh, you know it. I want to dance under the moon on the balcony. Check out your view. (laughs) It's a good view. (laughs) Um, Oh, last thing. Do you have any protocol when you dance or you just kind of let it rip with the music? Hmm. I don't really have protocol when I dance at home. But mm-hmm. when I dance in a space, I, I have been known to, like, I call it make a dance floor. Like, if there's a mm-hmm. space where the music is good and people aren't dancing, uh-huh. I can turn it into a dance floor. Ah, uh, you mm-hmm. feel that space. Yeah, it's, you know, you kind of look around and you look for who's dancing on the inside. Mm. Maybe a little dancey near and, like, not full dancey. You got to, like, ease into it, right? You got to kind of, like, warm it up gradually. Instead yeah. of, you know, pull a few Who's people dancing in. dancing on the inside. Mm-hmm. 
the introvert raven dancing weaving <laughs> phd well very interesting interesting person we have here why thank you always a pleasure absolute pleasure great talking to you david have a wonderful day thank you you too yeah and there you have it that was my conversation with Chi bass awesome person awesome city really enjoyed it lots of uh, wisdom in there I learned a lot. We will put her website in the show notes. I really appreciate her time. Thank you all for joining us. Please like, subscribe, um, give a five-star review. If you know somebody who might enjoy this or find this meaningful, please share it. Thanks for your support, and we will see you next time.